You know? Yeah. All right, well, everybody's here. My name is Raj. I'm a therapist at Serenity Therapy Center, and we're going to cover um, some really good information about addiction today. We're also going to look at our first handout, which talks about love being actionable, which I think is a really important concept. So I'm going to start off with the first handout, and then we're going to kind of go around. When I meet people that are dealing with addiction, right, and oftentimes people will tell a loved one, I want to stop using, I want to no longer get high anymore, right? And we see people that actually will have tears in their eyes and say, I never want to get high again because in that moment they really mean that. In that moment really bad things have happened. And many of the parents come to me and they get really frustrated, right? They say, well, my kid came to me and said that they were going to quit. You know, my son promised me he wasn't going to get high again. And then 24 hours later, I see him doing the same thing, right? And that's the frustration that many parents deal with. So trying to break this down, we're trying to look at, you know, the term love, right? And so love is actionable, is a concept, because the definition of love is an unselfish, loyal, or benevolent concern for the good of another. There's all kinds of different definitions for love, and love is a very complicated term. But in essence, basically, when you say you love somebody, you have a relationship with that person, and you're looking out for their best their best interest. And this definition of this word actionable is basically just means demonstrable or demonstrable or something that you can put into a tangible way. So if you say that I really love somebody and their car breaks down the side of the road, your way of making that actionable is to go pick them up off the side of the road so they aren't there in danger, right? You say that you love somebody and they can't pay their rent that month they're not abusing drugs or alcohol, but they had something bad happen to them. You actually help them by paying them their rent. That's called instrumental love. So who wants to read, uh, starting off where it says, many people need a volunteer. Fortune favors the bold. Jackson, why don't you go ahead. Thank you, sir. Many people, including addicts, say they love someone with deep conviction. If you ask them, do you love your mother, they will state more than anything in the world. Most people have someone in their life that they love dearly, and they're not afraid to tell you about it. If you ask them, would you take a bullet to save your mom, sister, brother, husband, etc., they will respond, yes, of course, I wouldn't hesitate. Good point. Now, when you ask an addict, has the person you claim to love ever made any requests of you in regards to getting high, they often hesitate, and they say, well... Mom, wife, etc. did ask me to stop getting high. Well, did you honor their request? No, but it's hard to stop. Good point. Well, love is actionable. If you claim to love someone, then you have contracted with them to care. You have told them and others that the person you love means a great deal to you. When you love someone in a real way, their needs, feelings, and health matter to you. In the real world, we see people sacrifice money, food, and other things to help someone that they love. Mm -hmm. In the real world, we see humans take risks protecting and defending the people that they love. You're making sense so far? Anybody ever watch those TV shows like Judge Judy and Judge Mathis? Please, someone's watched those shows before, right? Okay, right. And so on these shows, they talk about contracts, right? And, re and basically, a person will say, um, he told me he was going to buy the car, and he shook my hand and said he spent $5,000 and buy the car. 
You know, and then the person says, well, yeah, I did say that, but there's no signed contract. And so the idea behind this is that technically in, in a court of law, if you shake my hand and say, I'm going to give you $5,000 for your car, and we shake hands and agree upon it, right? If we walk into court and say it was a verbal contract, that's legally binding. Isn't that kind of interesting? It's legally binding. Yeah. And what I'm trying to say here with love is actionable, if you've ever looked into somebody's eyes and said, you know, I love you, that's a contract to care, isn't it? Isn't it a, a basically a legal contract that says, I care about you. You mean a lot to me. This is a real relationship that goes above and beyond just good circumstances or bad circumstances. Right? All right, please continue, Jackson. If you love someone in a healthy way, then you should be willing to sacrifice for them. If you are willing to die for them, why wouldn't you be willing to get sober for them? That's deep, isn't it? If you're willing to give them protection and would defend them from an intruder, then why wouldn't you be able why wouldn't you be willing to protect and defend them from the pain of your active addiction? Okay, is it making sense so far? Or how about the last part? Active addiction is selfish, self absorbed, and self centered. Recovery is selfless, self aware, and self sacrifice. And that last sentence there? Please make your love real. Please make your love demonstrable. Yes, yeah, say demonstrable. It sounds fancier like that. <laughs> Please make your love actionable. All right. What do you guys think about this handout? Anybody relate to this at all? Stefan, tell me about this contract to care. Contract to care? Yeah. Well, you've had I mean, some friends. I was only here for like well, that's fine. Month. But you've had friends that wanted to stop using and promised you that they would stop using, right? Yes. And they really care about you, right? Yeah. So how does it feel when they don't fulfill that contract to care? Well, it hurts me. Um, I feel like I have failed them in some way, when in reality, you know, I know I shouldn't put any of that on me. Right. But I try my best to help with all my friends who have the addictions that I do. Mm -hmm. And um, as funny as it sounds, you know, um, we get we get high together, but we also got sober together. Yeah. So. Some we, of your friends have been pr pretty good turnaround stories, right? Yeah. 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 And, uh, I mean, as far as the love goes, you know, I have lots of love for them, whether they are sober or not. Right. Uh, I, I will always love them, and I will, I will always try to protect them and help them. But um, I, sometimes I can be enabling to them. Yeah. You know, like if someone says, hey, I need a ride for this, which, you know, I know in the back of my mind that they really don't need a ride to to go pick up like their wallet or something that they right. left somewhere you know I, I still would end up doing it but okay. I haven't been doing it anymore because you know I I keep my friends out of trouble and they've been doing the same for me right and uh, I, I believe for a relationship like like that to work between addicts you have to look out for each other yeah, that's true. Anybody else want to add anything on top of that with regards to love is actionable, making promises to people and then fulfilling those promises, right? Has anybody ever promised to someone to stop using drugs? Okay, all right. Is that the easiest promise you ever made or one of the more difficult ones? Yeah, that's a really difficult promise, isn't it? And that's honest. Look, I see people even back in the day at Brighton Hospital, right? And we'd have people come into Brighton Hospital, and there was one guy in particular that really clicked with me. And his wife said right in front of the whole you know, staff that was doing the intake to her husband, if you drink again, I will leave you. 
tears in her eyes, having a complete breakdown, shaking and sobbing with two children, right? If you drink again, I will leave you. Now, that's not a confusing statement, is it? Anybody confused by that statement? Right, so as he's going through rehab and all that kind of stuff, they ask him to go on and abuse, he says no. They ask him to go to AA, he says no. They ask him to go to IOP, he says no. They ask him to go to sober living, he says no. But he will see a therapist once a month. And so, lo and behold, what do you think happens to this man? He goes back to drinking, right? And then six months later, I see him in, in the intake, you know, and I'm looking at the guy and he's in tears. And I go, how are you doing? He goes, I'm doing horrible. I go, I'm sorry to hear but that, but I'm, at least I'm glad that you're here. What happened? He goes, well, you never believe it. My wife left me. And I'm like, well, I was there when he just told you that if you drink again, that, you know, that, you know, and here's what, it, you know, she's going to leave you. And here's what he says. Well, I didn't think that she was serious. And I've heard that a hundred times before. I go, but yeah, but everyone's got a breaking point. You know, some people break before they bend. And you get the person to a certain point, they're like, you know what, we've tried this so many times and we're just frustrated and we're giving up. And it's really hard for some people to recognize the fact that this time the loved one means business. This time the loved one's not going to enable. And that's a really difficult place to be, isn't it? So the idea behind this is to begin to look at, you know, people that love and care about you. I always call it the probation filter. I mean, so many people, they get arrested and get put on probation, right? I say, take everybody that you know, you know, friends, acquaintances, co-workers, people that you even bump into the street, and pour them through a really big coffee filter, right? Imaginary coffee filter. And when you get arrested, all the people that come through that filter, the ones that will take you to your meetings, pick you up from jail, say they care about you, bring you into their house, feed you, clothe you, those are your real friends. Those are your real family. And the rest of the people, they get weeded out in that probation filter. You know, it's really easy to have lots of uh, friends and, and people caring about you when you're on top of the world and you got drugs and money, right? In that world, you're, you're, you're king and you got everything. But watch and see when bad things happen, when dire circumstances occur, you will find out who really does care about you. Is that making sense? It's really easy to have all these you know, fair-weathered friends, when you're in the bar paying for the beer, when you're in the dope house paying for the crack, everybody's your fucking friend. But watch when you get arrested, those people don't show up. Like this young woman I was trying to help, you know, um, her, boyfriend yeah, her boyfriend was 15 years older than her, and when she went to the mental hospital from taking too much Adderall, she was in the mental hospital for seven days. Guess who never showed up one single day? The boyfriend. Yeah, he never showed up one single day. Guess who was there every single day at the mental hospital? Mom? Dad? Yeah. And guess what happens when she gets out? She comes to see me and mom and dad, and we all agree she needs to go to Brighton Hospital the next day to get help for her Adderall, marijuana, and alcohol addiction, right? And who do you think fucks up this operation? Boyfriend. You don't have a drug problem, you take prescription drugs. You don't have a drug problem, you smoke medical marijuana. I have a medical marijuana card. You don't have a drug problem, alcohol is legal. Right? Raj thinks everybody's a fucking addict. Right? And that's not what I think. Right? You end up in the mental hospital from taking too much Adderall, you might have an Adderall problem. That's not fucking unreasonable, that's kind of logical. And so he sabotaged that operation. And the second time she went to the mental hospital, guess who visited her? Well, he didn't. Once again, mom and dad did. And this time when she got out, same thing happened. And then six months later, on her 26th birthday, 
they got into a fight because, see, he really likes her when she behaves herself and is sexually available to him. But when she gets really high on Adderall and gets high on Xanax and acts really shitty, he calls mom and says, get your crazy daughter out of my fucking house. So he tells his beloved girlfriend, 26 years old, who's drunk off her ass, you are drunk and crazy, get the fuck out of my house. So she gets into her car and she drives away and she rolls her car at uh, 16 in Livernois and she dies. And when the police ask him what happened, he goes, oh, she was on her way to Somerset Mall to pick up her dress. We had reservations at Capitol Grill. I'm like, really? Really? See what I'm saying? Some people are really sick even behind the scenes. You think that the addict is the most sickest person of all. Some of the people that are manipulating the addict or taking advantage of people are actually sicker than the person with the actual disease. Is that making sense? All right, so we're going to go around. If you feel comfortable, say your name and your drug of choice and your clean time. If not, you can obviously pass. There's no pressure here. This is not group therapy. It's just an education class. But I want to welcome everybody here that's as, here as a guest. Thank you for being here. You know, my philosophy it takes a great deal of courage to be here. A lot of people need to be in this room to learn about addiction, to learn about alcoholism, to get help and education. For lack of a better way of saying this, a lot of people never can walk in this room because they don't have the courage to come here and talk about these things. So I want to thank everybody for being here. And so with that being said, Pete knows the drill. He's done this many times. As Pete goes, i got a gift for this man, so you go ahead. I'm Pete. Alcohol will be six months on Thursday. Good job. <laughs> uh, how'd you get six months? A little bit of Raj, a little bit of Brighton. A lot of hard work. Yeah. And doing the right thing even when no one's looking, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What are the benefits of Pete being sober versus Pete drinking? Oh, it's a lot better that way. A lot, a lot more clear-headed. Works a lot better. Okay. Um, relationships a lot better. Good. There's, there's no downside. I like that. that I found yet. Cool, cool. Any highlight from the past week you want to mention to us? I treated myself to a big grilled two-inch thick filet this past week. That weekend. sounds nice. That, that was probably a highlight. Good. <laughs> recovery gangsters do recovery gangster shit, right? We eat big filets. Thug life. Thug life. <laughs> thug life. There you go. Recovery thug life. All right, well done. Stefan, honored uh, guest. How are we doing? Good, how are you? Good. I'm Stefan, and I do not take as prescribed. All right. Um, I've been clean off opiates for a little over 60 days. Good man, well done. And, um, yeah, uh, I've been having some issues. Um, you know, panic attacks. Uh, Went to the hospital twice wow. um, this past month okay. for panic attacks, and uh, you know my my uh, ex girlfriend, you know, you know, has been giving me problems stuff, but I've been having a lot of good things going on for me too. Good. Did anything so, recently happen that was a big positive? Um, I just got a job at this clothing store called Double Up in Birmingham. Nice. Which is like high end clothing, which is a passion of mine. So, you know, um, that that was a really big plus for me. I just got that news before I came here. Yeah. So. Awesome. Yeah, it's yeah. great. <laughs> now, would that have happened if you were still in the opiates and benzos? Um, Be honest. Probably not. And if it did happen, would you be able to show up? 
Um, well, they're going to drug test me anyway, but it... <laughs> right. Uh, it, I wouldn't be able to work. I'd be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> nodding out, doing my thing, but yeah. No, this is great, man, and you deserve it. Yeah. So glad you're here. Honored I'm guest. Glad to be here. <laughs> I'm Melissa, and I'm here supporting my sister. Fantastic. All right. Glad you're here, Melissa. Hey, Addie, how you doing? I've been better. Okay, um, but you're here, and I respect that, and I thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, most recent drug choice would be crystal meth. Okay. And, oh, uh, like, like, two days. Good for you. A few days clean. Now, you weren't, you weren't in Michigan, though. You were out of state, right? I'm in California. So what's California? Like, I'm not familiar with the California drug world. Like, what city were you primarily, like... Palm Springs. So if I was to hang out in Palm Springs, what drugs are available to me out there? Everybody does crystal meth. You're kidding me. Is that the Mexican, the high quality shards of glass type crystal meth like I see on Breaking Bad? No, I'm asking. Yeah, I guess, yeah. No, it's, is that really good shit? Isn't it that biker shit that's made in the bathtub, right? I, I don't know. Well, I, describe it to me. If I was to buy crystal meth out there, what does it look like? Like shards of glass. So that's made in massive laboratories in Mexico, right? Mexicans have what's called super labs. And these super labs get a whole bunch of pseudoephedrine from China, right? Huge amounts come in from China, and they make it in a lab at a very, very high potency, about 95% pure, and they bring it into America by the ton. <laughs> I got to study this shit, right? So what's bad about crystal meth, in all seriousness? What's bad about that drug in particular? Um, for me, it was that I didn't see how it was destroying my life. Okay. Wasn't, I'd only been doing it about six months. Okay. And I was um, doing it to get more done. Basically. Okay. So in the beginning, you used it as maybe a tool to do more work? Yeah, that's yeah. The, way I, the only way I used it. So. Okay. Were you, were you snorting it? Were you eating it? Were you smoking it? Okay. Did you have like one friend too many? Like who turned you on to crystal meth as a way of dealing with wanting to have more energy? Boyfriend. Oh, don't tell me that. No, no. Love is actionable. You're telling me that the man that says, I love you, Addie, gave you fucking poison? Mm -hmm. Addie, how do you feel about that? Well, that's not all he gave me. Addie, how do you feel about that? about that. Be a no, but how do you feel about this? Is that nice or is that no, not no, nice? No, not nice, right? But I'm a big girl, too. You are, and I, and I understand that, but I'm just saying I wish we lived in a world where men, you know, wouldn't give their girlfriends poison. Like, this isn't the first time I'm going to hear this, and I know it won't be the last, but I guess it's one of my pet peeves, like, at a certain point, like, if you love and care about somebody, you don't give them methamphetamine, you don't give them heroin. Well, the Those, reality of it, right? I know you already know this, but yeah. like, probably I mean, how is he supposed to love her if he's getting high himself? Yeah. I, Usually people that get high don't love themselves to be able to... I know. Okay, so he gave you something else besides crystal meth? Oh, no, I just he was very emotionally abusive. I'm sorry to hear that. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And is he today, is he sober or is he still using? He's still okay. using. All right. I'm so glad you're here. So what concerns you about your drug usage? That's a loaded question. It is. It's by design a loaded question. Everything. Okay. I've, I've been gone for four years. Okay. This is a whole different place now. I just, I'm totally, just 
Sure, that's fine. I respect that. Okay, glad you're here. Mom, how you doing? Good. Okay. I got my daughter back home. Absolutely. I'm starting over again. Okay. Um, it's kind of kind of long. 20 years of... What does it feel like to worry about your, your child using drugs and alcohol? What does it feel like to have that worrying feeling? What does it feel like? Yeah. Pain. Okay. Does it affect your sleep? Oh, yeah. Does it affect your stress level? Oh, yeah. Does it affect your ability to eat? Oh, yes. That's everything. Yeah. It's good to have her home, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I recommend that she goes to NA or AA meetings for additional support. I also recommend this website called intherooms.com. It's completely free, where she can meet friends from all over the world that are staying sober. I've done AA. Okay. Good. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. So, in general, what worked before is going to work again, and what failed before is going to fail again. So if you guys know what you're doing, then you kind of know what direction to head into, right? Okay, glad you're here. Honor, you're not even a guest, you're a regular. Jackson, how you doing? I'm good. All right. Um, Jackson, drug of choice, marijuana, clean time, seven and a half months. Fantastic, man. So nine months you'd have a recovery baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wait, eight, I meant, wait, no, it's eight and a half. Eight and a half months, right? You almost have a recovery baby. All right, good. Yeah. So, Jackson, what concerns you about your drug usage? Well, it made me unproductive. I just sit around all day. Okay. I wouldn't do things I'm supposed to be doing. I wouldn't show up to class. I, I didn't really form real, you know, real relationships with other people. Yeah. Because I, I, I became isolated towards the end. So. Now, we say people that say that marijuana is not addictive, because I hear that from time to time, more often than I wish I heard it, right? So they, they people will come to me and say, well, marijuana is not addictive. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's a good thought. All right, your next story. I got you. Yeah, it's bullshit, man. It's it takes more use of it to, in general, to get addicted. Okay. Like I mean, with heroin, if you use heroin one time, you can be addicted. Right. That, That's true. That generally doesn't happen if you use marijuana one time, but you keep psychologically convincing yourself to smoke again and so I mean your your friends are smoking and so you want to just hang out and have a good time yeah. and then you just keep doing it and it becomes a daily thing yeah and that Stefan and Eddie's yeah, next yeah. okay go ahead yeah uh, I you know I, I'm a chronic pot smoker not now but right. you know I was 
And, uh, you know, I agree with you. Once you start smoking, like, all day, every day, you know, um, I couldn't eat for about, like, a week. Really? After I stopped smoking. Yeah, I just, I, I had no appetite. Lost your appetite completely. My stress levels yeah. went off through the fucking roof. Wow. You know, um, I, and it's not, I don't believe it's physical. It was all mental, but it But, man, mental is real. Yeah, but. Mental is real. The mental problems gave yeah. me physical physical problems right. so yeah. I was having lots of trouble eating and just super stressed yeah. you know because I couldn't light one up yeah and yeah yeah because yeah, you don't yeah you don't really get any physical withdrawals from it but you you're how you feel when you're sober again you, you just feel like bored you feel bored and well, you're, you're like, like I feel I, I felt yeah I felt really agitated and irritable. Yeah, irritable. I'm like, damn, this sucks. I need to smoke. <laughs> yes, Eddie. I, I think the biggest difference why people don't think like marijuana is as addictive as yeah. coke, as heroin, as meth, or whatever. Uh huh. More the category of what you're willing to do to get it. Yes. I think yeah. that really classifies. I think in most people's minds, subjectively. Yeah. Very few bank robberies occur because of marijuana, marijuana addiction. Right. Not, not too many. Right. You know, other. Yeah. yeah. Acts of right. I would have never done that if I wasn't right. Lying. No one's and probably prostituting themselves for weed. For That's it, true. Right. right. But as far as like the the, the need for the emotional um, up and down, yeah. uh, you know, like personality you know changes and so forth. Yeah. I think they're all there in every drug. Otherwise, yeah. we wouldn't yeah. get I. Right. Yeah. You. Yeah, thank you. And it's an illusion to believe that anything that's going to be mind or mood altering cannot be addictive. That's not how it ever will work. Uh, it's never without gonna... it, you don't have that, you don't re obtain that level yeah. of what you There's a reward to... feedback loop. This changes how I feel, so I'm going to begin doing this. And then it becomes, over a period of time after you repeat the behavior over and over again, then it becomes an addiction. Yeah, thank you for being honest. Give us a highlight, man. you got a lot of stuff going on. Yeah. So, um, last week I was up north at my grandparents' place on the lake, and that was, that was fun. Good. Uh, uh, I have a, a few, uh, I have a few piano gigs coming up. Good for you. I've gone to the, a church in Detroit, and uh, I'll Fantastic. Good. Didn't you get, I'm sorry, didn't you get a scholarship or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been here for a couple of weeks. So yeah. Sure. Jackson's a fantastically talented jazz musician. Very, very talented. I've heard his stuff. It's fantastic. Glad you're here, man. Yeah, Allie, how you doing? Hi, I'm good. I'm Allie. I'm Opiates. Okay. I'm at 38 Days. 38. Fantastic. You look really healthy. Look at your eyes, man. Yeah, Allie's back. I'm so I'm happy. Bad, yeah. <laughs> So give us a highlight. Um, I mean, obviously the clean time is a highlight, but give us something else. Um, I've been doing really well in the class I'm taking at OU right now, so yeah. I'm happy about that. It's been a while since I've been going to class. Right. No, and you're taking a psychology class. Of course, I'm biased. Yeah. I think that's I fucking know. fantastic. <laughs> I'm happy about it, yeah. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Glad you're here. Thank you. Honor guest, Darius. How you doing, man? You were using S prescribed. <laughs> the guy on Suboxone. Yeah, uh, eight years of Benzos and Suboxone. And for 16 months I've been clean of Benzos and 
six months. Oh, so Fantastic. That's a real accomplishment. My anxiety level I still have to get over. Um, I don't know how long it's going to take, but it's hard. Yeah. Eight years on this stuff is like, fuck. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, tell them what it's like to get off the Suboxone and the Benzos. They don't, oh, some people don't understand how long. They gave it to me for pain. I was told it's not a big deal. Yeah, they lied to him. They lied to him point blank. And said it was not addicted. So, so watch out. It's good for my one month if you get off of something. But please, there was fucking painful in the world. I have no so many people to get off of this shit. Yeah. And I'm surprised to be doing so good after because I, when I quit Benzos, nine months I was fucked up. I couldn't move out of my couch. I couldn't eat. I was freaking out, walking the walls. So there it is. So tell us what's good about you being sober though. You made it you made a big change. Well, you made first it to go of all, by. Yeah. How I found out that I have a problem is I reached tolerance to the benzodiazepines. Actually, if I wanna go if my wife wouldn't take me like to a St. Mary's hospital. Yeah. Or some other hospital, they probably would put in the mental ward and fucking do more drugs, and they would kill me because you're not supposed to mix Suboxone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're supposed to know that too. Yeah. And I had the biggest. I was on 24 milligrams of Suboxone, 8 milligrams of Klonopin. Yeah. That's the biggest dose. It's a very high dose of Klonopin. 8 milligrams is very high. So I was like, actually, the tolerance. I was physically, mentally. Spiritually broken. I was, I thought I was dying. I even said goodbye to my wife. Wow. But after the detox and those nine months, I went back to work in April. I worked for General Motors. I was 17 months out, out of that. And uh, actually, because of those drugs, I couldn't work. I was on disability. And now I'm yeah. back to work. It's still hard, but I'm trying my best. Yeah. So glad you're here, man. Yes. Yeah, it's great to have you here. Ed, how are you doing? I'm doing doing well. Good. Um, I'm eating meth, uh, crack, coke, uh, whatever, basically. Yeah. I can get my hands on pills if I can, but um, I got just under 17 months clean. Fantastic. Welcome. You know, just listen to the stories. I, I just have to say that I noticed one thing that and they say they can uh, program at least, at least end narcotics bonus it's one day at a time. Yeah. Some of you always say, well, I got 23 hours in today. So right. So it's like the, the one day at a time. Because I listen to the stories, and, and my life hasn't changed in that much. Okay. As far as, like, the drama, the headaches, the bullshit, the people not trusting me, the, okay. you know, from when I said I had 30 days to when I say I have almost 17 months. All right. And what I mean by that is, like, my life is, is normal. Life is headaches. Life is right. it's what we do to deal with them and handle the situations and resolve them that I can do differently now. Okay. Like, you know, my mom bitches about whatever she might bitch me about. My ex-wife still complains about whatever she complains about. Okay. She did the same shit before when I was getting high. The difference is I'm not getting in trouble over it. I'm not mm -hmm. out, you know, you know, I pay my friend to court. I, yeah. Yeah, go and to law enforcement's not interested in you when you're no, sober. Yeah, no, no, they're young when you I, walk around. I was just yeah. about to say my highlight is my yeah. probation. 
Uh, knocked me down to uh, every, every other month. All right, good. So, Maybe you got some good evaluation or something. It might have I helped did, with that. yeah, yeah. She, she actually asked if I could, you know, talk to my counseling program and see if Maybe possibly just for their file, so because she wants to discharge me early, so yeah, we think they've been doing so. I'm a big fan uh, of discharging early. I'm a big fan of being yeah, discharged. You know, I gotta early. be honest with you, man. I'm, I I, I want to be discharged. I want to see if I can stay clean without probation. Yeah, well, you've done it before. It, I have. I had five years clean before, yeah. but you know, like everybody else, man, you know, I'm at 17 months today, so yeah. or this this month, so I'm working on it. Um, you know, I wasn't gonna ever tell anybody this, but you know, I just. Can I? You tell anything you want. This is your world, man. You know, some of the problems that I found out that I had or that go on in life came up later. And just maybe because when you came in, it kind of related to how I kind of got into some, some friends of mine. And, you know, I was smoking crack, so all oh, that shit. And you should do this instead. It's better. You won't right. have the... It, it was kind of like the, you know, I'm trying to convince you that this is better than that. You won't have kind of, yeah. kind of conversation. Um about eight months ago, I found out I had, I'm HIV positive. Um, I had neurosyphilis and almost killed me um, because it got into my brain sack without knowing because I was, I didn't know I had it Yeah. because I never was a doctor and I was getting clean and I didn't realize that my body was going through changes. The doctor thought I was going through depression and yeah. all those other things, so they were giving me medications that were side effects for headaches and, you know, I went blind it, in my right eye. Wow, um, wow. You know, I had, you know, my skin was peeling like a snake would peel away, like the, the shedding of a snake. Um, and finally went to a doctor, went to the hospital because, you know, kind of like you, I was done. I'm like, mm -hmm. I yeah. told my parents, I told my mom, I told my kids, right. I, was like, I'm, I can't take it no more. If I'm not really sick, then I don't want to live this yeah. way, that's for sure. Right. Um, took me to the hospital and the doctor goes, you're, you're syphilis. Wow. I'm like, holy fuck, I don't even know how I got it. Right. I wasn't really that sexually active right. for like last well, I mean, when you're getting that high, you're really not sexually active. We pretend we are, but right. we're really not. Right. You know, we say we are, but we're really not. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, Did you use needles? No. No, I mean, no needles. No. I never shot up. Um, a lot of people that I partied with shot up. A lot of people that I, you know, I mean, I mean, that must be honest. I mean, there are times I was down in fucking Detroit and I'd hook up with a fucking hookers or, or somebody, that, I don't even know if they're really hookers or not, but you meet them at the dope house and you party with them. Next thing you know, you do whatever you do with them and... You know, it really wasn't anything special, but um, it comes a time when you realize that if you're in a burning building long enough, you're gonna come out with some. You're gonna come out with some. some you're gonna come out with some sort of wounds from it. Yeah, I yeah. wish we could go through this whole thing and not have any emotional scars or physical scars. It, yeah, I, I wish it was like that. Yeah. But I'm so really proud sucked. of you for saying this. I'm so proud. I want to give Eddie a, a hand. And he's my fucking hero. Right? Here's a man that talks so honestly. Right? Here's a man that's HIV positive, and he's still not taking drugs. He's still not getting high. That that is such courage, you know. And that's why people like him that I admire, that inspire me. You need to absorb this right now in all seriousness, man. Yes, thank yeah. you, thank you, Darius. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that because it also needs to be a cautionary tale. I don't know why bad things happen to good people, okay? But I deal with it all the time, right? And so it's what we do with those bad experiences that can either make or break us, right? I remember a woman named Rose that had full-blown AIDS and cancer, and she would wipe the tables down off of every NA meeting. She'd be the last person to leave and the first person to show up. 
And when she died, we put an infinity tag in her casket because she was sober forever. That woman had a license to get high. She had cancer and she had AIDS and she died from those two illnesses. And her son, she got him sober at 13. The last time I saw him, he was 23 years old with 10 years clean. That's a bad motherfucker. Right to be 23 years old and have 10 years sober, and that's in inspiration and in legacy to losing his mother. He said, "I'm never getting high again." That killed my mom. And this is my way of honoring her. And so, what you're doing is so important because what you're doing right now is going to be a legacy for your children. It's going to be a legacy for others, yeah, and it know, inspires me, everybody just, in this room. Yeah, and to me, it's just you know, uh, I look back because the first thing they always ask you is, "Well, you know, your sexual partners or." You use needles. When's the last time this? When's the last time that? And you know, I partied for 32 years. Mm -hmm. I started partying when I was 12. Mm -hmm. I got high for the last 32 years. I yeah. I can't recall. Not to brag about you, but you spilled most more cocaine than yeah. most people ever use in their entire addiction. So that's yeah. all I'm gonna say about that. I mean, I know Eddie from back in the day. Eddie was at one point a very large scale cocaine dealer. That's all I'm gonna say about yeah. that. That was a while ago, but yeah, so I mean, I never had problems doing any. Yeah, you never had problems with money or cocaine. That was never a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, but life takes you down certain roads, but yeah. it's, yeah. it's just, I, it's a reminder that, because I don't know, you never know when, because you're talking about the, the time that the girl broke back or the, yeah. the breaking point. Yeah. You never know which time was the time. Mm -hmm. You never know which time is going to be the time. Exactly. You know, it's the roulette area. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so. I'm so glad you're here, man. So glad yeah, you're here. I'm sweating. Right? Well, now, why? Cool. You want to glass of water? I got water. No, I'm okay. Right I was just trying to are? say it's embarrassing. No. A bit, so. Does anybody feel like it should be embarrassing for this man? Does anybody feel honored that he was willing to share that with oh, us? Thank yes. yeah. yeah. Thank you. I no, I feel, I feel one more applause again, man. Seriously, thank you. So much courage. We gotta respect courage when we see it. Okay. I want to thank everybody for sharing. Okay. I put a handout together that basically covers what I feel the most important four pages about addiction. It might seem a little bit long, but I promise you it goes pretty quick. Okay. And the information in here, I really feel, if I was to come down uh, to a book visit another civilization, and my only job was to explain to that civilization what the fuck addiction is, I would grab this and say, here's what I want to read to you out loud. That's how strongly I feel about the information that's in this document. All right? Now, I use the term addict. Obviously, everyone knows that alcohol is a drug. If alcohol wasn't a drug, what would it be? A fruit, a vegetable, or a condiment? And if you drink too much alcohol and you die, what would it say on your death certificate? Alcohol poisoning. So alcohol is a poison. Cocaine's not a poison. Heroin's not a poison. Methamphetamine's not a poison. Alcohol is a poison. And when you feel the buzz from alcohol, what you're feeling are the poisoning effects of alcohol. So you need a volunteer to read the first page, please. Starting off with generally people. Stefan, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> generally, people are motivated in life by two simple concepts. Avoiding pain and seeking pleasure. This avoidance slash reinforcement instinct could be said to work for any rational living animal. People stuck in addiction have learned that by repeating a behavior, they are either avoiding pain or gaining pleasure. Addicts have learned that they can change feelings in a matter of seconds or minutes with chemicals. Believe this. In the beginning, drugs make you feel good, and that's why people like to take drugs. Unlike cars, drugs are never returned to drug dealers because they don't work. Good point. Please continue. Early on, early, early on, using can provide a pleasure that is worth every potential risk of legal trouble, trouble, damaged health, losing friends or family, and paying large sums of money. 
All these negative consequences are weighed against the positive pleasure of the high and must be justified as smart decisions by an addict. Later on, avoiding, later on, avoiding the pain of withdrawal or fear of life without drugs can, con can continue the hopeless cycle. Further, once in the drug, once in the drug game, addicts can rationalize behaviors that non-addicts cannot understand. Addicts reach a point where their drugs are no longer effective and they still cannot stop taking them, all while realizing getting high is destroying their life. That's a really dark place to be. When you realize that the drugs are no longer effective in making you feel the way you want them to make you feel, and you can't go back to your life without using. Go ahead. In an addicted human being, you see a series of symptoms that make you suspect that the person has a problem with drugs or at the very least has poor ability in decision making. The symptoms can be very mild for the person in the beginning phase or very severe for those in the chronic or later stage. It's important to make this point. Addiction is the only disease that tells a person he or she doesn't have a disease. Is that remarkable? If I sat somebody down and said I did a Beck depression inventory of you and it appears to me that you have mild depression, they'll never argue with me. If I do a blood test on somebody and it says here that your blood sugar levels are very high, you have diabetes, no one ever argues with me. If I do a MAST test or a DAS test, drug alcohol screening test, and say according to this test you're an addict, and guess what some people say? There's no fucking way. It's a remarkable disease. It's the only disease that tells you that you don't have a disease. That's deep, isn't it? Please continue. Anything that changes the way you feel can be addicting. Drugs, gambling, video games, eating, sex, exercise, shopping, you name it. Taking drugs or eating excessively is only a symptom of a disease. Just like any other illness, some people get sicker than others. Some addictions are judged worse than others. The successful workaholic is often praised. In contrast, the addict, busy, purse-snatching, and prostituting is viewed in disgust. Okay, please continue. Some of the symptoms you see in a drug addict or alcoholic look very similar to those found in psycho psycho psychotic mental illness. Right. Not surprising, many people with drug dependency end up in mental hospitals. In fact, if you want to know who the addicts are in the mental institutions, just look around and see who is first in line when the nurse announces the medication. Yeah, curious knows about this. <laughs> the mentally ill patients have to be chased down. You gotta chase those fuckers down. Take your medication, right? <laughs> <laughs> chased down and dragged to take their pills. The addicts were at, at the window five minutes before medication time, complaining how long it's taking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Who's bringing the rest of page two? Need a volunteer fortune favors the bowl. Thank you, Allie. I think a big reason why people don't want to call it a disease is because it appears to give the person who's addicted a license to get high. After being told they have the illness, they could say, I'm high again. See, I can't help it. I have a disease. Yeah, smiley winky face, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, just because you have an illness does not give you the right to run around without treating it, especially when one addict can infect an innocent civilian by just getting them high one time. Think about it. It's impossible to become addicted if you haven't been given your first opportunity to use dope. However, even people, people and addicts, is that wrong? Yeah, people, even an addict doesn't oh. directly infect. <laughs> yes, it's my bad phrasing. Even people an addict doesn't directly infect can be hurt in other ways by their actions. People with AIDS have a disease. Do they have the right to run around not treating it and doing things that can infect others? Diagnosis of disease does not free someone from accountability. Yes, yeah, Steve, you're, not, you're accountable for your illness of addiction. Go ahead. Even mentally ill people are held accountable and responsible for bills they generate and the laws they break. 
Hell, the U.S. government has legally executed mentally ill and retarded people. Addicts are fair game as well. Don't forget that. So if I go rob a bank and I say, hey, the reason why I robbed the bank was because I'm an addict, so it doesn't really count. And the judge says what in court? But I'm an addict, though. See, I have a heroin problem, so that's why the reason why I robbed the bank was because of my heroin addiction. So you can't put me in prison, right? And judge hands you a basketball score, you know, 92-102, and then it's done for the day, right? All right, go ahead. Addicts operate from a core of denial. Like magicians, they will use distractions and confusion to avoid being confronted or discovered. This worldview thrives when there are ample people around to blame or compare to. Parents, family members, bosses, children, peers, the economy, the weather, etc. They are to blame for my situation. Some addicts are so good at blaming others that others begin to blame themselves. Wow. Some addicts are so good at rationalizing and deflecting that you might believe that they are just unlucky people rather than addicts. Yeah, how'd you get three DUIs on this really unlucky? <laughs> wow. No shit. Please continue. Addicts utilize the four Ds, denial, distract, divide, and delay. Okay, how about denial? Denial, they, they deny that there is a problem. Because if someone admits they have a gambling problem, what do you expect them to do? Stop gambling. If someone admits they have a drug problem, what do you expect them to do? Stop using. So if a person doesn't want to stop using, they certainly don't want to admit to a drug problem. You guys follow that logic there? Okay. Mm -hmm. How about this next one, distraction? They focus on everything else but their using. They focus on the problems with the job, the law, the economy, their childhood. They sidestep and distract you from talking about their substance abuse issue. They may even focus on other mental health issues like depression and anxiety, and then conveniently blame that for their circumstances. Yeah, they're going to reach for anything else. We want to cop to the lesser plea. If you're in court, you want to cop to a felony charge. You want to cop to a misdemeanor. So when you're in front of your mom and dad, you don't want to cop to heroin addiction. You want to cop to a gambling addiction, or you want to cop to depression, or you want to cop to anxiety disorder, right? How about this dividing thing? Is it on there? I don't see any there either. Oh my god. All right. <laughs> I was looking like butter. <laughs> is it different? Yeah, it's yeah. Some, are, some are different. I apologize. All right. What's wrong with this guy, man? All right, please continue. I'm slipping, I'm slipping, man. Slacking. So I go to divide? Yes, please. Okay, they divide people up and make them angry at each other. They cause people to shout and blame each other. They are known to take a good marriage and because of their using drama, cause a divorce. Wow. They break up families, friends, and associates. They get people to accuse each other of not handling things right and make them constantly second-guess themselves. Once people are divided, addiction wins and finishes. Wow, that's powerful. All right, who's reading page three? Need a volunteer. Fortune favors the bold. I don't know what I have. That's not that. Who's reading page three? Need a volunteer. Thank you for reading. Uh, Pete, thank you, sir. Pete's got the great radio voice. <laughs> Delay, the final act of psychic desperation. Okay. Yes, you got me. I have addiction, but I can't get help right now. See, I have to break up with my girlfriend, feed my dog, have my warts removed. I have to pay some bills. Wow. Get help tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, I promise. Scout Sounder, I promise. I'll see you at Brighton Hospital Friday morning. What? No, we're going to go today. No, I can't be there tonight. I'm so sorry. Please continue. Some skilled addicts have delayed getting help to the point of dying. Wow. The good news is that an addicted person can change and become healthy. Once someone becomes aware and educated about their illness, they can take responsibility and action. There is no simple shot or pill that can cure them. In fact, the disease can only be put in remission. It never fully goes away. 
The sad truth is that the only success, successful treatment must be done by the patient themselves. Yeah, it's just like diabetes is a great example of what addiction is like. Some people are predisposed to diabetes, right? Some people will have environmental stressors that will predispose them, or it can be their genetics. And so we always see with addiction, the genetics loads the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. However, once you've been told that you have diabetes and have to take your insulin every day, now you are responsible for your care. Now, you're never going to be free from diabetes. It's not going to just disappear and go away, but you can make it manageable the rest of your life. So please continue. What's required is motivation. The addict will need to be motivated in order to change. After motivation, the biggest step is asking for help. At this point, treatment can begin. The standard forms of treatment can vary. It may require weekly or monthly therapy, inpatient treatment, counseling, 12-step meetings, changes in friends, church attendance, and changes in lifestyle. This requires significant commitment. It is not easy. It is not easy. It's also the road less traveled. This is the more difficult path. Everybody in this room has to recognize how much courage you have. If you haven't used drugs or alcohol today, this is the more difficult way to be. It's really easy to put a chemical in your body to change how you feel, right? Anybody can do that. Intoxication is the vocation of the frightened and scared. It takes a great deal of courage to deal with life head-on and deal with those feelings and whatever you're dealing with, problems and trials and tribulations, and not using a chemical to take the edge off. Please go ahead. However, no matter who calls or labels someone an addict, it doesn't matter until they claim and accept the term for themselves. Why? Because if they don't believe it, they won't do anything about it. That's when I see people, I never waste my time talking about you're an addict or you're an alcoholic. Honestly, it's just a mechanical exercise. What's really more important than that is I ask the person, is your current drug or alcohol usage making your life better? Or is your current drug or alcohol usage making your life worse? That's more honest. That's more logical. So you don't have to wreck your life and have three DUIs and have bankruptcy and have ruined your career to realize that alcohol is not your friend. You don't have to smoke marijuana until your lungs collapse to realize that marijuana is not your friend. A lot of people are figuring this out a lot earlier without having to be diagnosed formally as addicts or alcoholics. Is that making sense? Okay. Side note. Someone you care about has a drug problem and it is affecting you, contact a professional or Naranon by phone or online. If you have a drug problem that is affecting you, contact a professional or NA by phone or online. Or Elanon. Or SerenityHope.com. Got good audio there. <laughs> Don't be afraid to convince someone of using chemicals. Don't be afraid to express your feelings in a healthy way. Don't be afraid to get others involved. Mushrooms, just like addiction, grow well on bullshit kept in the dark. Absolutely. That's deep. I loved your <laughs> The noble truth is that addicts use drugs because of feelings. This statement is so complete, succinct, and sweetly generic, I'll type it again. Addicts use drugs because of feelings. They want to take a good feeling and make it better, take a bad feeling and make it less, or feel nothing at all. Tell me about Spock, Pete. This is why if you ask an addict, who's your favorite old-school Star Trek character, they will respond, Spock, of course. They may not know why, but you do. It's simple, because Spock doesn't feel. Hmm. Addicts don't like to feel. Sometimes wow. the hardest things learned are the least complicated. That's powerful. How about the last paragraph there? If you think you know an addict, the best way to handle them is with care, facts, and assertiveness. Separate the person that you care about from their disease. The disease is bad, and the person is sick. I love you, but I hate your disease. I will do nothing to help you get high. I will do everything possible to help get you sober. You can love an addict and still hate their disease. It's actually good policy. Obviously, it is important for anyone dealing with an addict to not tolerate behavior that risks their health, safety, well-being, or sanity. Right. Remember, it takes a great deal of courage to challenge and confront a person who is abusing drugs and alcohol. 
In yeah. reality, most people lack this courage and end up leaving a person who is in trouble alone. This is unimpressive and common. So let me give you an example of this. So I got a guy that comes into my office. This is a while ago, right? And his son, you know, and I, and I begin talking, and he's got a really bad marijuana problem. And he's gotten two different girls pregnant, and he's only 18 years old. So now he's a father two times over, and he's not married. And so as we begin talking, he says, I'm really overwhelmed. I got a marijuana problem, and I need help. So we call the dad in. Mom is all green lighting. Let's go to rehab. And so we tell dad, dad, all we need you to do is, is go to this intervention and just tell your son that if he doesn't go to rehab, you're going to put him, you, know, you can't live at home, right? And he goes, well, I can't do that. And I'm like, well, why is that? He's abusing alcohol and marijuana. He goes, I feel that my relationship with my son is more important than his drug use. All right, but that's really bad. And so this has been going on for years and years and years. And what's going to happen is dad never wants to make his son upset. He wants his son to have this kind of life where he's never challenged, right? Never put in a, a zone of discomfort. And so now, basically, this kid is going to keep smoking pot and keep impregnating girls and not working because he's got a place to stay and no consequences. Why wouldn't he keep doing that? You follow what I'm saying? A lot of people, this is not to be mean, but don't have the courage to say, hey, what you're doing is not healthy. You're not going to die on my watch. You're not going to prevent yourself from reaching your full potential on my watch. I love and care about you so much that I'm willing to fight your disease to get you help. Is this making sense? All right, who wants to read the last of this page four? Anybody? Somebody hasn't read yet? I'll read. Thank you. Giving the addict money for drugs, housing men, or bailing them out only keeps them dependent. It also prevents con consequences that motivate change. Remember, we are talking about drug addiction. People depending, depending on drugs. Addiction is all about dependency on people, institutions, and substance, etc. Recovery from addiction always requires self-responsibility, self-awareness, and discontinuing the use of dope. Good point. So what is recovery? Well, if a person was a drunken horse thief and then he stopped drinking, the person is now a sober horse thief. Now that's good. It's abstinence. And that's certainly pro progress. Indeed, you get a big fat bronze medal. Yes, you get a big fat bronze medal for no longer, you know, being a drunken horse thief, right? That's, that's progress. However, recovery is different. It's more sophisticated and it's global. Recovery is the gold medal. Recovery is an active change in attitudes, ideas, and behaviors. Yeah, one more time. Recovery is an active change in attitudes, ideas, and behaviors. Please continue. That's why every recovering person's favorite rapper is 50 Cent. If I give you a dollar and I got back two quarters, what did I get? Change. Change, change your furniture. That's why his name is 50 Cent. You guys know that, right? No one watches VH1 besides me? Behind the music? He's bringing change to the rap game. That's why his name is 50 Cent. <laughs> this is true. Why you're not on Jeopardy? Please continue. Change your phone number, get rid of bad phone numbers and bad people. If you ate chocolate ice cream when you were getting high, even though ice cream in recovery. Why would I do that? And if I had a favorite drinking song, why shouldn't I play that while I'm in the first three days of my recovery? If I had a favorite weed smoking song, why wouldn't I play that in the first part? I used to love NWA's song called Fuck the Police. In fact, I used to blast that song driving south on I-75, heading towards 8 Mile. Why is it bad for me to blast Fuck the Police in my car? Memory. 
it gives me a whole attitude. It gives me a persona. I mean, it does all kinds of really bad things. I mean, everybody's different, but maybe you should find a new anthem for your recovery. Many of us have addiction anthems. we got to get rid of those songs. Find some new songs that don't have any negative memories associated to them, right? All right, please continue. You don't have to be an addict to benefit from not using drugs or alcohol. May I prove your point? A lot of people don't get high, not because they were arrested or their mom is washing them, but because America is competitive. Oh, it's very competitive here. You don't want to be chemically restrained by drug abuse, withdrawals, and hangovers. Watching other people pass you by. This is the stark reality. You will never reach your full potential abusing drugs. Is that making sense to everybody in this room? You'll never reach your full potential abusing drugs, even if you're not an alcoholic or an addict. I get pot-smoking kids that come in here from time to time, and they're like 15, 16 years old, and they can't go to class. They're smoking way too much weed. Their grades have been affected, right? And they all play fucking guitar, right? And so at some point during the first 20 minutes, they're giving me a lecture on marijuana, how you know me the medical properties of marijuana, it's organic, it cures cancer, it does everything, it's going to solve all of our problems, we should build our cities out of marijuana, right? <laughs> and at a certain point, the guy then says to me, you have to understand something, Raj, you know, I play, you know, I'm going this, I play guitar, and Bob Marley, you know, was a great songwriter and musician, and he smoked pot every day, and he wrote incredible music. And that's when I say... And that's true, and you're not fucking Bob Marley, and you never, ever will be. Because when you smoke pot, you can't even go to class. When you smoke pot, you can't even do your homework. When Bob Marley smoked pot, he never missed a single concert. I'm not here to explain why certain people are exceptions to the rule. But there's always someone that's going to be an exception to the rule. Like some people are going to bench press 505 and say, why can't I do that? There's always going to be that one person, right? But to think that you're going to smoke your lungs out and become Bob Marley... That's not logical. Is that everyone on the same page with that? All right, how about the rest of that there? It's important to have a basic understanding of the motives in the rest of the non-addict world relating to drugs. Well, normal people don't take such risks. Normals decide not to chance becoming dependent on something or going to jail. Most people realize the problems of dope without the legal, social, physical, or monetary consequences jumping in their face. Right. To them, the emotional and physical damage caused by using strong chemicals is just too dangerous. Most humans will not even experiment with dangerous drugs. Normal people learn from other people's mistakes, bypassing making their own. The majority of the world does not become addicted. They respect the consequences, they fear the drugs, they accept reality, and therefore don't become drug addicts. You guys think by bringing in the general population of this city, and I invite everybody to come into this room, and I crack a kilo of cocaine, and I pour it onto a table, and I say, everybody come in and join me, and what are the majority of people going to do? They're going to run the other way. I swear to God, it's true. Me and Eddie wouldn't, but the rest of the people would run the other way because they're fucking... They got, they, got common, they got common sense, right? If I, if I crack a kilo of heroin on this table, the majority of people will run the other way. Like, oh my God, that's heroin. It's illegal. It kills people. It's addictive. That's how most people think. But people that have a tendency towards addiction are like, so, so, what, is, so what is that? So, and, and so what does it do? And... and and can you try it one time and not be hooked? And some clown will say, well, of course you can. You know, you're magical and different. Even though 25% of people that try heroin one time become completely physically addicted, but you, you're so fucking special, those consequences won't happen to you, right? Everybody wants to be magical and different. 
until they get to about hopefully five years of age and they begin to realize, oh my God, what fails for others will probably fail for me. My, my biggest thing growing up was I used to party with a lot of older people, 30, um, 16, 15, 16, hanging out with like 30, 35 year olds, like I'm thinking. Yeah. They're 35 partying, so I got like 20 years. Before right, I, yeah. Like my, in my head, that was how I mentally yeah. like, okayed it. Like, You're gauging yourself against them. Yeah. There's I, plenty of time. Yeah. It's okay. All right, bring us home. Even with all the consequences being described, some non-addicts and addicts alike will still use drugs. The highs from powerful mood-altering substances are extremely pleasurable and very seductive. Always respect drugs and alcohol because they have no respect for you. I said it again, always respect drugs and alcohol because they have no respect for you. Mom, can you read the last part there on page 5? You got a different one? Thanks for saying that out loud, Mom. Eddie, bring us home in that little paragraph there. In the beginning. In the beginning, people used to feel good. After becoming addicted, people used to not feel bad. Used to not feel bad. In the beginning, people used because they want to. After becoming addicted, people used because they have to. Anybody have any comments or questions about the most important handout, five pages to explain addiction? Does anybody have a better understanding of addiction now? I thought you walked. I thought you did really good. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'll, I'll uh, praise to my higher power. Is this making sense, Andy? Was this helpful? All right. So now you guys got a better understanding. Addiction is a disease because it's got symptoms and it's treatable. And uh, people, that, like Jackson pointed out, addicts use because of feelings to change how they feel. Once they become addicted, that's the main reason. A lot of people begin abusing drugs and alcohol because of peer pressure, for novelty, risk-taking behavior, all kinds of other reasons in the beginning. But once you become hooked on drugs and alcohol, the primary reason why you do that is to change how you feel. Right? Okay, any comments or questions? I want to thank everybody for being here. I want to thank everybody for sharing. It was really heartfelt. And we'll have Recovery College again uh, next Tuesday at 7 o'clock.